In 2020, as quarantine was put into place and concerts everywhere were canceled, Chicago's Experimental Sound Studio quickly created a series called The Quarantine Concerts, and they raised nearly $100,000 over the course of the series for the performers involved. How do you put together something so powerful and so big so quickly? Find out on today's episode of Music Therapy. everybody, welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker. I'm a musician based here in Chicago, Illinois, and I am also a licensed clinical professional counselor. Music Therapy is a mental health podcast for musicians and music fans. Please visit musictherapypodcast.com for previous episodes and upcoming events. And if you have a moment, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a few stars and a review. That helps us out so much and appreciate everybody who has done that so far. Let's see, a quick announcement, a show announcement. I am beyond thrilled to announce that um, my band is going to be opening for Simon Joyner at The Hideout. That's on July 19th. I have been a huge fan of Simon Joyner ever since I learned how much Beck, who is my favorite artist ever, is a huge fan of Simon Joyner. That's how I learned about Simon, and now we're opening for him. I'm so excited Get your tickets at the Hideout website. That's on July 19th. So today's conversation is with Daniel Weish. Let me tell you about Daniel. Daniel Weish is a Chicago and Michigan-based guitarist, composer, and improviser, and currently a professor of religious studies. He has served as a curator with the Elastic Arts Foundation in Chicago since 2013 and co-founded the Quarantine Concerts online streaming series at the Experimental Sound Studio in March of 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic. His new record, Earthwork, is out now on American Dreams Records. I'm really excited to, to share this conversation. We cover a lot of ground, and we also hear some music from Daniel's newest album, Earthwork. And so now... Here's my conversation with Daniel Weish. Hi. Hey, am I sideways? Yeah. Okay, let me see if I can un, un sideways my. Oh, no, that's not it. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just trying to get the good angle here. Okay, does that work? That's great. I don't have a, I don't have a thing to hold the, the phone, so. That's okay. I mean, you're, 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 you're holding me so far. <laughs> okay, great. How are you? Pretty good. How are you? I'm fine. Yeah, it's it's been a while. I feel like we haven't... It has been a while. Thank you for being on the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited. Where are you right now? I'm actually in Chicago right now. Uh, I'm, in, I'm in Hyde Park. Okay. Yeah. Are you living in Chicago currently? Kind of. Um, my... My wife is still a graduate student at University of Chicago, so um, you know we're back and forth, kind of partially here in Chicago and partially uh, in Michigan, where I'm working right now. Okay. Okay. So it's about like we're kind of doing two things at once. So how's that? It's okay. Uh, it's it's hard. The, the the it's not a long drive, but it's like long enough where uh, when we have to do it, it's like okay, okay, we're doing this now, mm-hmm. um, and then I think we spend enough time in one place and that when we get to the other place it's like a nice relief um I bet. so like where we're at in michigan's you know it, there's not a lot going on but there's a lot of trees and stuff and we try to go outside a lot and so that's really refreshing and then we're like wow there's no people around here we should see some friends and we don't really have any there so then we come back here and 
you know, um, the, the trade-offs. And we That's get nice. Sort of, you get to kind of mix it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's okay. <laughs> I think we'd like to be in one place at a time, but, you know, yeah. um, but it is the best of both worlds right now. Well, um, okay, so your answer to this question, this is the first question I always lead with, um, is might be a little more complicated because I always ask, how would you describe a typical week in your life these days? Oh, well, um, so that's, that's a good one. I mean, so right now I'm teaching, um, at, at, like, again, at, at a college, uh, in Michigan and it's mostly, it's really been nothing but work in a way that's been weird because the pandemic, like, especially at the beginning of it was doing kind of trying to be involved with music stuff and being on, you know, online programming and things like that. And then, I got this job and it just really, I, I work a lot. So I teach a lot of classes. I have a lot of students. So it's, you know, my, my sort of weekdays are the closest to a kind of nine to five, like plus that I've had in years, really. Um, especially like when I was a student, you know, you kind of, your schedule's all over the place, but this is like I teach in the morning, I teach in the afternoon, and then I spend my spare time getting ready to teach the next day and things like that. And then we do our best to like, we go to the dog park a lot. Like that's our main thing is like walking and hanging out with the dog. So we try to like take her to either some trails or to the very, there's a huge dog park down the street from our place in Michigan. So that's really nice, Mm -hmm. but it's really just like work and dog time. And (laughs) that's pretty much it. Um, Is this like, you know, when I think of, uh, you know, elementary or high school teachers or whatever, you kind of hear that like the first year is the most intense because you're putting together all your, your stuff. Is that going to be the case for you? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so last year was my first year at this job and I thought like, oh, okay, by the second year, I'll have all my materials ready and, you know, I'll be ready to go and all these classes will be easy to teach. And that's just like totally not true. I, I have a lot more stuff and I feel a lot more prepared. Like we start, we start teaching and you know, we have classes again, like um, next Monday, but I'm more prepared, but it's not like I'm prepared. (laughs) I'm not exactly ready because there's so many, one of the other things, you know, especially the first year that I learned was how my ideas about what would work and what wouldn't, what wouldn't work are totally wrong. And I needed to like revise my, my, you know, my syllabi and my sort of class exercises and assigned readings and just overall kind of approach. Like I had to really refine it a lot last year. And now trying to think about like, how to do it better um, with the new semester and stuff. So, so it's a it's, process. Does it feel creative? Yeah. Um, that's a really good question because I think one of the things I've been really missing a lot is being more involved in like music world and like making things and stuff. And sometimes it feels like the teaching doesn't feel as creative. And at the same time, it clearly is very creative. I mean, there's a lot of like, I do a lot of improvising for sure. I mean, uh-huh. like constantly um, with, with what's going on. And like designing courses is, it's a challenge and it is a, creative process and stuff so how about yeah. performing is there a oh, performance yeah. element in teaching yeah absolutely i actually i was talking to somebody recently and i was like well one i think one reason that like musicians can be good teachers is that we're good at like practicing and at improvising uh-huh. and like kind of like hammering away at stuff then also like thinking kind of on your feet and both of those things the, the performance side of it like i think is is crucial because like i have you know um tired and really exhausted students and people, you know, and these are we're in person with masks. And so uh, wearing a mask for two hours is really hard. And you have to like do a lot of 
I don't want to say like theatrics or whatever, but like just yeah. do a lot to use your, use your personality and your voice a lot to keep people engaged for that long, you know, and, and know when to stop too. So. I bet. So how, how is it when you get your, your, your reviews? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They're a lot more generous than I expected. Honestly, there were a few classes where I was like, this was a fucking disaster. Uh -huh. um, these kids are going to hate, like, I'm going to get the worst, you know, like Amazon level reviews for these classes. They're just going to be shit talking. Uh -huh. And then they end up being pretty nice. Um, and then you get like, um, there was one class where I thought it went awesome and all the reviews were awesome except for one that was like, everything was like a zero. And this person either, either totally hated me or got the, the, um, like the, you know, the metric mixed up and like thought like one was, was good and five was bad or something like that. Yeah, but we'll go ahead. that that's yeah. what I hope. That's what I hope happened. Cause I, <laughs> I was that, I was very surprised about like, which, which student was that? I thought, you know, and then yeah. you feel guilty and stuff and you want to just, fix it somehow and you can't yeah and you know? it's, then you forget about all the good reviews you know you you try to reach who you can but some people yeah, yeah 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 well and that's the thing with teaching teaching evaluations is that like it's always the bad ones that stick with you you know they really fuck you up of course every everybody yeah. i know says that and just like you get a bad evaluation even if you get like a hundred good ones it really just eats you up you know I mean, I think that's true in general. I was saying to a client the other day, you know, you could have a perfect day, but if someone on the street like makes fun of your outfit, that's what you're going to remember. Yeah, about. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. The one thing that sets you off and the whole the rest of the day is just through that lens and stuff. Yeah, it's, it just yeah. sticks. Oh, well, so it sounds like your life with this new uh, professorship job is that is really a big contrast from what your day to day looked like previous to this how has that been for you and especially as it relates to you know being creative and being involved with music um i think this is like a really this is like a question i'm thinking about constantly right like um so before i, I took a very long time to finish my phd um you know for various reasons i have some some health issues that came up and, and stuff like that and other setbacks and um you know uh i thought I would be done with that degree like way before I was and I actually graduated like the day that the lockdown started which was pretty oh, wild so but yeah before that I was a student and I was writing a dissertation and so even though that's like a full-time job you have a lot more like you don't have a place that you have to be at a certain time you just mm -hmm. need to be to be working um and that like especially in my time in Chicago gave me a lot more time to go to shows um because I didn't necessarily have to get up super early and just kind of meet people and listen to new music and things like that um, and take time to really be writing and sort of practicing and things. And I think my, like, my ability to, like, write new stuff and practice has really taken a nosedive because, like, teaching prep, it's just so tiring uh, and teaching itself. And so I come home and I'm like, I'll noodle around on the guitar, but I can't practice. Like, that feels too much like work or, like, mm -hmm. writing or working on new compositions. So it feels a little tenuous right now. And it's a little, um, honestly, it's a little scary because it's just like, well, I know I'm going to need to make time and I need to, it's like one of the big incentives to like really solidify my classes and my syllabi and stuff is right. Like um, I need to get this class in order. So I know that in three weeks when I'm teaching this day, I'll be able to come home and not be super exhausted and I can make music and, and things like that. Um, so I don't know if that really, yeah, is that, I don't know if that answers the question, <laughs> but that's part I mean, of it. I was going to, I was going to ask how that's sitting with you, not having that time that you used to enjoy. It, it, it makes me really, um, it makes me nervous. 
you know, like it makes like, I'm like, oh no, when am I going to get this time back? You know, because theoretically it exists, right? Like, it's not like, okay, now I can never do this anymore, but I need to like, like think seriously about how to like manage and arrange my time Mm -hmm. so that, so that I can do that stuff. Um, you know, and sometimes I realize that like, um, have sometimes you know you bite off more than you can chew right you're like oh i'll do these five things or something and and then you just can't it's just not possible and so were you when you accepted this position were you anticipating that this might become an issue for you just the time i thought so i thought it might and everybody says you know even the person who hired me that was like this is going to be a really hard year and i was like yeah i mean that's what they say about your first year teaching no matter what right like you said if it's uh, college or um, high school or elementary school um, I think I didn't expect how taxing it would be, especially with the pandemic stuff thrown on top of everything mm-hmm. and just the the like amount of exhaustion that is just around like in the air. Um, yeah. So that like when I, I don't know, I feel like when I was a student, I'd be very busy, but then like going to a show or practicing or something would be really revitalizing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a thing that sort of feels a little different now where it's like, okay, I actually just don't feel like doing this because it's, it's making me sleepy, you know? Yeah. So so when did you begin this position exactly? It was um, September 2020. So this is my second year there. Got it. Well, I wanted to ask you, I, I definitely want to ask you about the quarantine concerts. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I would love to hear you talk about, I mean, it sounds like you started that. I would love to hear you explain to the listeners, you know, what that is. And it also sounds like you started this at the very beginning of the, as a response to the pandemic, at the very beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. So, and that's actually really interesting because, well, for various reasons, I had to step more away from that once I started this job, but it was also, I'll say this and then I'll backtrack right to the beginning, but that was also a time when we all thought that the series was kind of just going to peter out at that point after a few months. And, you know, it also kind of started running itself in a way, but um, so But it started like in March of 2020, like almost exactly coming up on almost exactly two years now, which is crazy. I had like released a tape that was like a reissue and I was planning a little tour just like a week. And like, you know, the show started getting canceled, like for everybody. And I was living at the Shape Shop at the time, which you, you, you've probably recorded, you know, Nick Brosty, right? Um, I do. I've never, but went to Chandeliers really active there. Yeah. Yeah. And Harry yeah. from Chandeliers was there with, and, yeah. and, you know, it's like one of my favorite people and a really dear friend and stuff. Um, so, you know, I was living there and we have this whole recording studio at the house. So I was just like, okay, maybe I'll figure out like, I'll go on a tour from my house and I can like video, you know, do live streaming or something. And I'd never done live streaming before. I, I kind of thought it was stupid, you know, like a lot of people mm-hmm. um, thought it was cheesy and, um, I had like started a Facebook thread being like, I'm thinking about doing this. Like maybe does anybody want to talk about how to do it? Because I had no clue. I didn't know anything about like OBS or any of the software or like should we use Facebook or Instagram or whatever, like or YouTube, like what works. And Olivia Janelle from ESS, who's like, you know, a total hero and legend of the Chicago art community saw it and was like, cause we were friends and we'd all worked together before. She was like, we're thinking about doing something like this. Do you want to, come on board and help curate and stuff. And I was like, yeah. And so it was me um, and Ben Billington were kind of the outsiders as like curators. And then it was Olivia, Adam, Alex and Glacian and Adam Vita and the other ESS people. And we were and like- You're talking about Experimental Sound Studio there. Exa- yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. Experimental Sound Studio. Yeah. And those those folks are kind of the core group at Experimental Sound Studio. Um, 
And so Olivia reached out and none of us really knew what we were doing. And we had this, actually, I wish I could, I don't know how to like go back through two-year-old Facebook threads, but it was like a treasure trove of information that people were sharing about like how to do this and stuff. And we, um, we decided to like, we kind of came up with the idea of like doing a streaming series specifically they thought that they were going to have people come to ESS's studio uh-huh. um, still. But then it was like, that's not going to happen. That can't happen. You know, it was early. Nobody knew anything. So we're like, okay, we'll do a series where we train people to stream themselves from their own homes and things uh-huh. like that. And so we spent that first real week of the lockdown. Like we had like Zoom meetings every day. We had a couple of other people who were kind of helping out and providing some feedback. Um, we figured out how best to stream what software to use. We all became experts in OBS, which is um, an open source sort of streaming software that you can use with all kinds of stuff. Um, in like a crash course in a few days, we came up you know, with a logo made you know, a series. We started talking to people and curating events and stuff. And then we had a bunch of test runs and Alex and mostly Alex came up with like created a really nice like template document for like a very, very simple how to, like how do you stream? How do you do this? What are your options? Do you want to do it on your phone? Do you want to do it on your computer and stuff? And we kind of just got everything together in like a week. And it was like a very like, uh, like meaningful week for all of us because we all felt like we had a purpose, you know, and we were like, this feels like a thing we should be doing, you know, and, and something that maybe people will appreciate. And it turned out they really did, you know, like we got so much good feedback. The first, um, the first event was like, like a week into the quarantine and we did like a kind of soft opening with, um, me, Alex, and Ben, and it was on YouTube. And then we had like a real show, a real show with uh, like Alejandro Asierto and Molly Jones and some other great people in and around Chicago. And the YouTube channel kept crashing. Uh-huh. It was like a total nightmare. And and we had to like move the show. Like Alex created a um, a Twitch thing like on while all this was going uh-huh. on. <laughs> and we moved. It was like it was like okay, this venue. We have to leave this venue and move everything to a new venue. It was like we're yeah. gonna okay, everybody. We're going across town now, kind of thing. It was crazy. And so Ben and Alex and I um, were kind of like handling, like kind of being in touch with the artists and like telling people when to go. And like all three of us after the end, we're like that was like the hardest I've ever worked at a show. It was so exhausting because we had no clue what we were doing and we had to move everything because the you, the YouTube just kept failing. The Twitch worked. Alejandro started his set twice and so did Molly. Like they both kept getting like cut out and then they re-performed later and stuff like that. So, um, and then that got, I mean, we did, we, the model was to like get other curators to build builds, create bills. Uh And we kind of trained the curators in how to coach their artists. And that was the work we were doing mostly. We were curating people who would create bills, teaching those people how to teach their artists and that was like what our most of our work was for a few months. And we got some really, really great shows out of it. Um, it's been very successful. Yeah, yeah. And the last that I checked, which was a while ago now, again, because I haven't been as involved, uh, Olivia said that it raised over, it was all, all the proceeds went to the artists, you know, <laughs> minus the fees for Twitch and, you know, all that other stuff. But, um, which sucks that they take a cut, but, you know, it is what it is. And, but they raised over $100,000 for that went directly to artists over Amazing. the course of the first year. Yeah, it was awesome. It was really fucking awesome. We were like all really proud to be part of it. You know? Oh yeah. Do you should I mean you should be proud of that. I'm just I just can't. Um I'm so amazed at how fast you guys made it happen. 
Me too. I mean, not to be like, not to like, you know, whatever. It was, holy shit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, to put that, first of all, everybody's processing what's going on around us with COVID. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I I hear what you're saying that it kind of gave a sense of purpose and something to do and um, focused you a little bit. But yeah, I mean, it also feels like your guys' previous experience. I mean, I just hear the curating teaching, you know, obviously show experience is all kind of blending into this perfect, let's just create this thing that's pretty daunting, but you guys did it. Yeah, no, it was amazing. And again, I think everybody had like such a good like team and like good skill sets and everything. Uh And like um, the experimental sound studio folks are amazing. Like they're all amazing, you know, and they had actually been doing live streaming already for quite a while. And they were doing it because of uh, accessibility and like disability issues, then they wanted uh-huh. to make sure that their stuff was accessible to people and and specific audience members who um, I think there was at least one or two people who had um, you know uh, had been dealing with mobility issues and stuff, and so they started live streaming uh, a couple of the series before that, so they had at least had some experience with with it, and I think that made a lot of the difference. I think the other thing is that ESS is a nonprofit rather than like a bar or something that makes money from the door. So the employees there, and there's only like three or four people that really work there, um, they were just doing their jobs like normal. It just switched to online. So they were not taking like a sacrifice in terms of their, you know, their incomes or anything like that, which was, which was I think, crucial, you know. Well, uh, that's, that's really great. Thanks for talking about that. Yeah. Um, there's so much to say about that stuff. It, it's, it, was, it was like our entire lives for a few months, you know. Did that how so do you feel like that was helpful for your personal experience of just what's been going on with the world or how how has this been for you? Yeah, I think that that especially again like up in over the over the spring and summer of 2020 that I think I don't know I think that that experience really saved my life in a lot of ways I mean that yeah. and uh, that and and dog sitting um <laughs> you know like it was something that really I mean I had other work to do and stuff but like I think like you know everybody involved and a lot of the audience are pretty serious, you know, members of the Chicago music community. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody really was missing shows. Like we all were like, I think there's so many people that I'm friends with and I'm sure it's true for you too, just from seeing them at events and stuff yeah. or playing music with them or, you know, and I, um, I actually really love, um, like I worked at Elastic for years and I, I really love all the regulars. And a lot of them aren't people that I end up getting a drink with or coffee with outside of that, but I'm mm-hmm. really, really happy to see them when they're there, uh-huh. you know? And so like, that was a kind of nice way to get all those people together again. And yeah. we got that from a lot of people, you know, people said, oh, thank you for doing this. I have something to do tonight. You know, I, I feel connected to this community and our friends and stuff like that. So. Um, That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, therapeutically it was absolutely crucial. <laughs> like just to, to put a fine point on it, you know? Yeah. Um, how about music making for you during that time? I want to talk about your new album. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, please. I, I didn't know if there was a more of a question no, there. that was, that was uh, Actually, so it's kind of interesting. Um, I, uh, the album was mostly finished when the, um, the quarantine started. The first two tracks, the two longer tracks had been done. I mean, it took me a long time to finish both of them, but they were really done by the end of 2019. Uh-huh. The last track, which is a recreation or a re- rewriting of a really old piece of music that I had from when I was pretty young, um, I had just kind of been kicking around in my head that I wanted to redo it eventually. And 
uh, Jordan Reyes, who's like the heroic leader of American Dreams, who's can't say enough good things about Jordan. He's, he's the best. Um, was like, yeah, I think we need another piece of music on here, you know? Um, so I was like, well, I got this idea. And so that was in the beginning of, um, in 2021, like almost a year ago now, I went into ESS just kind of by myself uh, with like me in one room and Alex Inglazian uh, in the other, in the, in the other room, you know, masks and stuff. And, you know, before vaccine or anything. And then um, we, we just made the recording and then I left and Jeff Kemmel came in and did his part um, while I wasn't there and stuff just to keep everybody kind of separated and everything. So I only, the bulk of it was before the pandemic and it was all kind of mixed and mastered. And then I ended up doing that one track. It was interesting. I, I did a remote, all the remote mixing stuff with Alex, like through, there was like, um, I can't remember the name of the program, but it was kind of like zoom for the, for the mixing software, like where yeah. I could see it, you know, kind of screen shared in a way. Yeah. And, um, it was, and it was, it was like a high, high fidelity feed of the actual sounds and stuff uh, like that. So, yeah. And what track was that that you're talking about? That's the one called the elephant whale too, which is the last track, but it's the short one. It's the sort of a, it's the, the single, the pop song or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
but yeah, let me ask you. So we have a few like kind of bullet point ideas that we were going to, you know, maybe hit yeah. on for, for a conversation. Um, I mean, one is pretty broad. We talked about just mental health and this relationship to music. Um, I guess I'll leave it kind of open like that. Are there, is there anything that you think about there or personally experience? I mean, I think that like, I, I, I don't know. I don't, you know, how sometimes things sound cliche, but they sound cliche because they're just true. Yeah. You know, I think that um, the idea that like working on music and making music in various ways is just profoundly therapeutic and like really necessary for the people that do it. And when, you know, um, we have all kinds of different challenges and, and difficulties, whether they're like physical or mental or just social or whatever, and like doing music and listening to music and being part of the community and stuff really makes those things either like helps resolve them or makes them bearable and things like that. So, um, you know, I think this is true in general with, you know, if you scratch the surface of anybody's recordings or records or, yeah. or shows, like you're going to find that. Um, and what's interesting is like the specifics of it. Right. So, um, the, the, um, you know, over like a few years when I was recording this record, like, I, you know, I just experienced a lot of loss, um, um, in sort of interpersonal ways, but also in, in family. Uh, my grandfather died in 2016 and then my uncle died uh, in 2018 and he was like, just kind of like a father figure to me and, and a lot of people. And, you know, I had gone to, it, it's hard to draw these, like, like a, a sort of connection between like the way something sounds like formally to like a specific idea, especially if there's no lyrics or whatever. Right. But, um, the piece called Earthwork, which is like I one of my favorite things I've ever done. I recorded it at Acre, um, the Acre Residency in Steuben, Wisconsin. They also have a, a nice gallery here in Chicago. Um, there's a silo there on the property, and um, I was recording guitar in there and kind of mixing and putting it back together and taking it apart. It took me three or four years to finish that piece, even though it's only 12 minutes. Wow. Yeah. So I had to I had to go back to at least once to record more because I needed more and I wanted to keep it like consistent. But a lot of stuff happened over the course of um, having made those recordings and mixed that music and things like that. And that was something that really um, I I did find it really therapeutic. Just kind of like again, uh, I don't know if I don't know if in as a therapist if you find it weird when people say something is therapeutic for them or is that like is that like I think <laughs> as a therapist I would say it was therapeutic, Carol. Okay. <laughs> right. So I, there, there are moments like, yeah, that's a really good question. I really like that, that framing because now I'm going to think about it all the time. Um, <laughs> there are moments where it's just kind of be like kind of down, you know, or just feeling like, the, you know, how could this happen? You know, um, especially with my uncle because um, he had cancer and it just kind of happened really quickly. He was a very like huge and really kind of invincible seeming person, you know, um, and like the, the day, so like another sort of, I'll, something similar happened for me with both recording this music and also doing, doing research, like academic research. So the day after his funeral, I went to uh, an archive at Swarthmore College in, in Pennsylvania. And I, I did archival research and I found boxes of documents and scanned them for 10 hours and that's all I did. I didn't stop to take a break or to eat or anything. Um, and that was just sort of like, I kind of only realized at the end of the day, like kind of what had happened, that, that that's where my, my head really sunk into this work. Um, and I don't think, uh, I think forgetting to eat is probably not a good thing, you know, but, but in this case, I was just sort of hyper-focused. 
And there are other moments where like I'd be somewhere like at a, um, I don't really drink that much, but like I took my laptop to a bar in Philly. I was there visiting friends and just kind of sat by myself and mixed that music for hours, you know, mm-hmm. uh, around that time just to kind of like, just to kind of sink my teeth into something or sink my head into something in a way that I don't think of it as being kind of escapist, but I think of it as like helping me process some of what I was thinking about and sort of trying to understand at the time. And that's why like in my head, that music and those sort of events of loss are really tied together because I think trying to fit all the pieces together was sort of like paralleled um, like mentally as well as like, uh, you know, in the mixing and stuff like that. So. So how do you feel when you listen to those tracks now? Um, I actually kind of find some, I find them a little bit hard to listen to. Um, the Elephant Whale, I, I listen to a lot because on the one hand, so for Earthwork, like it's just really deeply personal. And, I, and you know, people, I don't know if you have this, people are like, oh, I want to listen to your record with you. And you're like, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> this is, I, I don't want to hear this ever again because I yeah. spent years working on it. But there's, um, I mean, there are some like, audio i guess easter eggs in that piece of music that that are hard to hear unless the volume is up pretty loud because some of it's very quiet Uh and um i don't i have to really be ready to to listen to it to hear those you know um and i had i did a a release show at elastica back in november and it really kind of took a lot of like kind of getting ready and like however this process works like making peace with like hearing these sounds and these voices again um you know um so so yeah this can be hard to listen to you know and the other one um um the first track called this was home i mean that that was done and recorded at a really good time you know for me and and so thinking back to like it refers to a whole lot of things you know childhood and, and people and so on uh, and the sense, even, even though again, like it was recorded at like, what was I think a really positive time, um, the sense of, of what home is and who, who home is, um, you know, and things like that. And thinking that there are places that, and people that you think of as part of the basic landscape of your life that, especially as you get older, uh, they're not there anymore, you know? Um, and so it, you know, they say like the, the, there's the cliche, you can never go home again and stuff. And in some ways that's very real because it's just not there anymore, you know, yeah. especially when it comes to, to people and things. So I, I find this, that music really hard to listen to personally now. My mind is forking out different directions. But what, what I want to ask, I mean, one direction is, you know, we wanted to talk about getting older, aging, yeah. growing up, you know, thinking about those things. Another, another direction I wanted to ask is, you know, music do you have ideas for music you would like to make next when you can yeah yeah i do and that's interesting too because so a lot of this record was like very kind of backward looking in a way and i don't mean that in a bad way just like looking at the past and Mm -hmm. that's kind of why that that piece the elephant whale it's the elephant whale too um because the elephant whale one was a thing i recorded in 2004 and a demo that I made by myself back then. Uh-huh. And my sister, who was uh, a small child at the time, named it, titled it. And she like is, uh, she performed my wedding, you know, like, like last month, you know? So, so that was like really thinking about like the past and stuff. And I have some other, 
I mean, it's hard not to ever, you know, you can't not think about the past, but I'm trying to think about like at least two new pieces of music that um, maybe, maybe don't engage uh, in those kinds of like those directions and those kind of perspectives as much. Um, but I don't know yet, like I, I have them and I'm working on them and they're, I like to write like long form things. So there'll be like, you know, 17, 18 minute pieces of music, um, but they will be more stripped down and more like, um, that, like I think of the earthwork album as, as being very like glistening and this will, this one will be very much more like wood. Like it'll be more like foresty, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know, it's not like a contrast, right? It's not like, Oh, this one looks to the future where the other one looks to the past or something like that. But, but, um, yeah, I, I am working on those things and, and, um, it's kind of, it's, I'm getting, one of the reasons I'm anxious, I guess, is that like, I, I really want to work on them and I want to have time to, but like work is taking up so much time. So hopefully like over, over the spring and slowly and surely like during, during my, you know, the week and weekends and stuff, we'll be able to do that. Um, I don't actually know if that answers the question, but you know, yes, I'm <laughs> working on new stuff. I'm interested to hear you talk a little bit more about the words you use, the, the, Earthwork album was glistening, and the next music you want to make more, more calls to the woods or foresty. What do you, what do you mean by using when you're using those words? Uh, I have, um, I have these like themes that I'm really obsessed with, and I, I, one of them is is the idea of, and this is true in the Earthwork album too, because I think of it as very shiny, but I also think it was very organic, and um, I want to create things that sound like, like organic machinery, like, um, and so you know, a factory that's made out of like trees and vines and stuff like that, or, you know, something like that, like, uh-huh. like a machines that are not like, we think of like, um, like labor and sort of industry and stuff as being like sort of dirty and like metal, you know, kind uh-huh. of unnatural. But I, I like to imagine these kind of like rhythmic and um, very organic ways of thinking about like almost mechanical processes and stuff like that. And so this one, um, I think it's maybe, I don't know, um, like in my head, the sounds, they, they sound like tree stumps and like leaves mm-hmm. to me. Whereas the other ones sound like uh, clouds and like rain and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, but I feel like maybe that means they'll be, they'll be dense in a way, um, if that makes sense. Because the other earthwork is very like, it's got a lot in it, but I think of it as being very sparse.
and so this will be very dense. And so like, you know, you look through the forest, I was, we were, we were hiking like a month ago and you know, you look through the forest and you actually realize that you can't see all the way through it. Like, even though all the trees are spread out, like yeah. from your perspective, they, they cover everything. And so it's, it feels a little bit more like that to me, I guess. I, I love hearing you talk about that. Um, it's really, in a way I can relate because I think that I experience the music that I, it's sort of, it's very visual. Yeah. You know, um, and when I was talking to Jess Vicious of Bunny, who mm. was on the show, um, but she was saying that her last album, she wanted it to be blue. She mm. wanted it to sound mm. blue. Uh, I didn't, and I like that. I like hearing about how people are you know, visualizing the sounds and the way the album feels and everything. That's, I love that. Cool. I love that too. And I like hearing when, like, I'm, I'm very excited. I want to go listen to that album now because I, and, and I wonder what you, like, what are the colors or the sort of, uh, you know, visualizations that you use? Because, you know, we, we all think about these things very differently. And so when I say, oh, it sounds like wooden to me, that might be something completely different to somebody else. And that, right. That's a really interesting conversation to have, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's perhaps less a descriptor and more like a personal guide of like mm-hmm. how I'm approaching my, maybe somebody else would say it sounds wooden, but maybe this is what wooden means to you and you're thinking right. about music and, well, yeah, too, and I think like so you say something's wooden, people think of like like there's a way of calling something wooden that makes it feel like stiff or like yeah. not uh, like boring or something like that. And I, I actually mean something that is has a lot of density, but also a certain kind of movement to it. So um, David Trano and I on this show had a really great conversation about how challenging language can be in the recording studio because describing how you want something to sound can be <laughs> yes. really hard in the yeah. way that. You're like, I want it to sound like this and somebody else, you know, interpretation of that is really different than how you, I don't know. So it's, it's a difficult thing to use language on. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like you get that in like, if you're in a band with people and you have to be uh-huh. like, you have to make weird like mouth sounds and like, <laughs> like describe a, a general, like a, like a mood or a vibe or something. It just gets really fucking weird. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Well, let, okay, let's let's look at it to another bullet point here we were going to talk about. One of the things that you brought up is um, thinking about how physical health relates to music, you know, booking or curating or touring. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, um, like this is kind of in also a theme for me. Cause I, so I have uh, sleep apnea and uh, I've been dealing with that for a long time. And it's been a bit of a nightmare for various reasons because of like the way insurance works in the United States and stuff. And I, I got kind of thrown off my insurance in 2017 from grad school because they just do things like to punish people at grad school to make yeah. you leave. Uh, and so I only had insurance again last year. And But the, the last solo album I had, which is called Our Severed Sleep, I wrote when I was first dealing with the like learning about my sleep problems. And there's like a lot to be said about that. But that album is really, really loud and really, because I was just like, yeah, this is how I feel all the time. Like, I feel so strained and exhausted and, and weird. Um, and so, like, I use a, a CPAP machine, um, which uh-huh. now, which has been um, really, really hard to get used to. Um, it's not fun. You know, it feels really good when it works. I mean, it really does. But actually getting it to work is hard. And they make them to be portable, but, like, it's not fun to carry it around. I mean, you have to get like a gallon of water that's to bring with you and, and things like that. And so, um, you know, just trying to plan a tour right now. Yeah. And this is the first time that I've like, okay, I need to think about how to bring this thing with me. Um, yeah. 
And like, if I go to Canada, are they going to be like, what the hell is that? You know what I mean? Like what, and I know that this is a thing that you're supposed to be able to bring through a border or on an airplane, but you hear horror stories about that all the time. People like, you know, with their insulin or their machines or whatever mm -hmm. it happens to be. Um, and so I know that um, it turns out this has been an issue for me longer than I thought it would, but you know, and lots of people have disabilities and chronic illnesses and things that they're dealing with all the time. Um, and so there's, it's not necessarily an issue about aging, right? Like at all, but there is something about getting older. You're like, wow, you know what? My knees just hurt <laughs> and I really can't sleep on a floor anymore, you know, uh -huh. like uh, on somebody's couch or whatever. Um, and, and you just have less of a capacity for that stuff, you know? Um, so definitely involved, you know, and, and, and I, because I have, I'm, I'm really tired all the time. Like I'm just I have issues with fatigue cause I don't sleep well. Um, and so that does make it harder to like write and think and get day, daytime work done in order to like write new things and stuff. And it's just, uh, it's a challenge. And it also seems to be like a, an occasion to, you know, think about what the hell's going on with our bodies and stuff. You know? Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about, you know, touring and musicians where you get to sleep or where you can make possible to sleep. It's not like, unless you're, I guess at a certain level or just already have a certain sort of income that you're sleeping in a hotel every night. It is yeah. like couches and floors and maybe not even knowing where you're going to sleep. Yeah, I know. It's like, it's weird. Cause like, um, I had a friend, a friend of mine, um, uh, was telling me about going on tour years ago with a, a Canadian band who had some funding from the government for their tour. Uh -huh. And they could like afford to stay in like, not in like a nice place, but they could afford to not sleep on floors. Mm -hmm. And, and it was like, Oh, right. Like that's, you don't, it doesn't have to be this way kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but it is for us as like Americans at least, you know, it, it, it is that we have to figure out where to sleep on floors unless we're like making a ton of money off shows, which most of us are not doing. So, right. you know, so there's always like a politics to this stuff too. Like you think about your health, like, I don't know, I think about like my, my health stuff and I'm like, there's also a deep political problem here with this. You know, the fact that like, I couldn't get this machine for years because I just didn't have insurance and like, I was on like Obamacare, but they're not gonna pay for that, you know?
talk about uh you said chicago music what do you yeah. what, what were you referring to there i don't know like the city is so great you know i mean i i think you know, you know like i've seen you play a bunch i i so i looked on our on our um Instagram things and the, like the last message we exchanged, I think was in 2014 about a show at Elastic uh-huh. that you were that Deadbeat was going to come play, and I think I remember the show and it was awesome, you know. And like, was it about friendship Chinese restaurant? I think it was in yeah yeah it was it was back yeah. uh-huh. at, at the old that. place yeah yeah, yeah before Elastic moved. But I was thinking a lot about how uh, I mean I think it was all the time like there are some really great music scenes in other places and stuff you know for sure, but like. This scene and this community is so, it's really diverse musically and otherwise, and people really, you know, engage with each other in ways that I think are really special. You know, you have people who are from really coming out of different genres and backgrounds and stuff who are like working together a lot and kind of influencing each other. And so like, you know, you have people who are doing more like rock stuff. You have this really profoundly great like jazz scene that's like, like, you know, historically important and still like super strong and like amazing. And like, I don't know, there's something, um, there's a kind of community there. I think like even in the, like this was home, like there's a sense of home in places. Like for me, like Elastic has been a place that I've essentially lived outside of my house since like 2013, you know, Uh Um, before I left the city. And even I'm still involved there at some level. Um, ESS, these places all feel like really welcoming and like home, you know, the bottle and the hideout and stuff. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, there's that, right? And there's always something new and exciting. There's always like new, new people and exciting, exciting young, younger people. But also, um, we talked a little bit. You know, we we're talking about like age and like getting older and stuff. And I, I was thinking a lot about how when I was younger and I was more involved in like rock bands and stuff. It was like everybody was like the same age. You know, it was all young people. And when I got involved in like, you know, new music and experimental music and jazz and things like that, the audiences are so much more diverse in age. Uh-huh. So, like, the regulars at Elastic are people who are sometimes in their 70s or 80s or 60s and also people in their 20s and stuff like that. And I really think that's special. Like, I think that I wish more scenes were like that, you know. Um, you know, I share your feelings, and I've had several guests on the show talk about the Chicago community being special. But uh, just if I could wonder aloud right now, I mean, I'm yeah, saying yeah. that just because we live here, and, of course, you want to feel like, you know, something is special, and, and it does feel really good. That's true. Um, but, you know, have you seen other scenes? Do you... Do you... Yeah, I mean, I guess... I, oh, sorry. No, no, no. I, yeah. I, this is a no, no, it's, spot. This is more just kind of... No, no, it's true. Actually, I have to say, there's, like, a lot of places to go. That, so, like, I, I moved to Chicago when I was 28, and I'm about uh-huh. to turn 42. You know, so in the previous... Life. I lived in Philadelphia for a long time and I'm from New Jersey and I lived in New Brunswick, New Jersey, which is a college town that always had a lot of bands and, and good stuff there, you know, for a long time. And it might have just been the scenes that I was involved in, but, um, and I toured a bunch, you know, and, and other people have, and, and even like, um, places like New York, which are amazing and really dynamic in their own ways, I, I feel like don't have the overlap that you see here hmm. um, and the, the communication. And maybe I'm totally wrong about that, but I think it's also a function of the city being very big and there just being a lot of people here yeah. and it's still being pretty, um, people do a lot of community building here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really special. It's been like the volume of, of people who are interested in not just like weird music, but just music in general um, of all kinds and like sort of the diversity of tastes 
and the number of people and the sort of openness of it. I think it does. I think that constellation, that group of factors kind of makes it special, you know, because other places, there's just not as many people. And I, and I, you know, they're awesome. Like the scenes are amazing and special and great. And in like DC is amazing, you know, um, so many great things there around like Rhizome, you know, the venue there. And like, I was in LA two years ago and I was with all these great people there, you know, and, and people I really love, but I feel like the kind of day to day, at least for the kind of thing I'm interested in, there's like on a normal non-pandemic night, there is like at least one show a night in Chicago doing like experimental or improvised music. And sometimes there's multiple and I don't know of another place that can sustain an audience for that kind of thing as much. Now that's not to say those other places aren't like incredibly special in their own ways, but like when something special, it's not like, doesn't mean it's better than something else. It just means it's unique, I think in this case. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that, you know, there, there are long times where I toyed with, you know, do I move to LA or New York? I, I love New York. Um, one thing that feels compelling about Chicago, even maybe, you know, certainly not compared to certain cities, but it feels like there's space to grow. So, you know, you can yeah. get, if you're willing, the, the city's not geographically bound the way, you know, maybe San Francisco or right. uh, other areas are where you can, if you want to get kind of a big warehouse space or cheap and you're willing to go a little far to get it, you can. and it, You can still do it. You can still do it here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think? Um, no, I was thinking about like the fact that so I was living at the shape shop, which finally ended like in the pandemic because the the landlords were trying to get Nick to pay regular rent, and like literally everybody who lived there was a musician. But it was in the South Loop next to the convention center, and it had been there since the '90s. Like the fact that that place lasted from the late '90s to 2020, uh-huh. um, in the location it was like right next to the the Cermak blue line stop or Uh green line stop, whatever it was. Um, that's, that's totally crazy, (laughs) you know? Um, and, and all these other great, you know, and, and, you know, at the same time, like it's the nature of DIY spaces that they're going to come and go. Right. Um, and that's one of the things that's beautiful about them. Right. Like, um, and it's funny to me when people are like, Oh, this place was the best, but like, I feel like the right attitude towards that is like a, a healthy, sort of nostalgia but not like a insistence that it should still be there because yeah. it was never gonna always be there you know yeah it's i i agree with that that's just sort of it's sort of fun to have new places pop up and yeah. disappear and kind of like <laughs> waves of the ocean you know it's uh yes absolutely I'm, I'm on the same page as you there um yeah i think we've hit a lot of these bullet points is there um is there anything else that that we should cover I know, like, I was curious, like, I mean, just, you know, we haven't talked about it, so it's like, how are you doing? Like, I know that you you said you had to put your child to bed before, and, and I haven't seen you since before you, you had a baby, so, like, congratulations. <laughs> so that's And I'm curious, you know, I think a lot of people, um, again, like, I can talk about, like, having to take a CPAP machine with me on tour, but that's nothing like having someone that is dependent on you, right? If you're still making music and stuff, like... Yeah, something, I mean, I've explored this with some other um, parents on the show, and in a way, like, part of my motivation for the show is to find out how other people do it, but it is really (laughs) hard. It's possible, I was really worried about having um, children and making music. I've figured out a way that that works. 
Um, my husband's also a musician, and we both we mm. both have figured that out, I think. But um, touring would mm. I don't think I would be uh, willing to leave. I'd be willing to go, but for short bouts. I wouldn't right. be willing to go for a month or anything like that. And so yeah. that's, um, you know, it definitely it definitely complicates it a little bit. Doesn't mean you can't do it, but. But I think like I like that anyway. Like I feel like I I, I get. Um, we were talking before about like the model of touring that's just based on people being twenty and like you know mm-hmm. being happy to sleep on floors. Like I I guess that's cool, but like. I feel like the kinds of touring that you can do with the kind of constraints that, you know, you're talking about, like probably is like healthier anyway, right? Like just going for a little bit and like not, not accepting that you have to sleep on a floor or something like that. Maybe insisting that like as a musician, you should be comfortable and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Um, I think one of the things about getting older is like losing the nostalgia and the sort of romanticism of like, Oh yeah, I'm going to be like a, DIY road dog and like sleep under a pinball machine or something somewhere. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not, not fun at all. But um, <laughs> I mean, I feel like, you know, it's hard to stay healthy on tour. It's just, you know, your, your choice mm-hmm. of food and expense and if you drink and, you know, it's easy to get, I don't know. It's easy yeah. to maybe not make the best choices. Very easy to, it's not, it's not even like it's all about choices. It's just kind of what's presented to you. So, yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's true. I was just curious because I, I guess I wonder too, like, I, and I know other folks in the Chicago scene who are parents who are like doing awesome stuff with music and like, um, you know, and, and again, like I, I have a longstanding like thing that I, I insist that like the idea of making music is not just making sounds. Like it's also curating and doing something like this and like, uh-huh bringing people together and like, you know, um, you know, uh, all the other things that go into like making it possible for people to listen to music, you know, um, I think count as making music. And so I was just, you know, it's so interesting to see people like yourself or like other friends, like continue to do that, um, in a way that relate, like you said, to, to see how other people are doing it, like, you know, doing this in response to these other conditions. Right. It's super cool. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a way to make it work. I think you have to think about it, but there's ways to make it work. Yeah. Awesome. Sure. Well, that's a good note to end on. Thank you so much for... Thank you so much. It was so... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> you did. No, you're totally but... fine. Um, no, it was really nice to see you. And it was really it was nice to see you. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Daniel Weich. I want to thank Daniel for his time today. I hope you guys are doing well and staying cool. We'll be back next week. Music Therapy is hosted by Jessica Risker produced by Sullivan Davis of Local Universe and engineered by Joshua Wentz in Chicago. Peace and love until I see you again. Mm-hmm.